Welcome everyone to the Lawson Creamer Legal Coaching Podcast. This is a special edition brought to you not from the Princess Street Studios, but via Zoom. And our friends Zach and Don Hemmings are recording this over the interweb. And my partner Kelly Van Buskirk is isolated in his office and I'm isolated in mine. And we are talking COVID-19. This has been a a global pandemic that has touched every corner of Canada at this point, and certainly every corner of New Brunswick at this point. And we thought it important to help bring information from the front lines, from our perspective, from the, the legal perspective. Kelly has been working with employers now for decades, giving them advice on topics right across the spectrum from health and safety to terminations but the last two weeks i think it's fair to say have been pretty well all consumed with the pandemic and how employers are dealing with covid19 and and kelly i thought maybe we could start off with with asking you what what were those first calls like and what were those first questions like from employers about two weeks ago now right well, Mel, you've had the same experience, I think, and and both of us have heard from many employers who, up until a few weeks ago, weren't really sure how seriously they should be taking uh, the COVID-19 um, epidemic and then pandemic. What we know now, and a researcher at the University of Florence in Italy made this comment that was published on March 18th is that the percentage of infected people, uh, even if they were asymptomatic, uh, was very high in in Italy and the isolation of asymptomatics was going to be essential uh, to control the spread of the virus and the severity of the disease. And so, you know, weeks ago here in Canada, employers weren't really sure if um, the disease was as infectious as it actually is, um, and they were wondering how they were going to deal with a workforce that didn't really take the disease perfectly seriously. Was that your experience, Mel? Yeah, that's right. Especially early on, there was almost a sense amongst employers that this wasn't real, and I think it was probably more a psychological um denial piece. I'm not a I'm not a psychologist and I don't play one on television, but certainly right. that seemed to be the the overwhelming initial response that that folks didn't really believe that this was going to be as serious as it was. And as a result of some of our our affiliations, um, we've had the the really the, the good fortune of having access to information that not everyone had access to. And so early on, we could know that it was really as serious as what you were reading or what you were hearing about in, in countries on the other side of the world. Right. And, and now here we are facing that degree of seriousness. Now we're in a situation ourselves here in Canada where people are starting to panic. When you, when you, started counseling employers Kelly what were what were those first common questions and the most urgent issues that those employers were facing 
Well, I think at first people were uh, questioning what they should do in order to take a proactive step with respect to the uh, virus, but but at the same time maintain what they hoped would be uh, normal operations. And so initially, um, the discussion was around taking those preventative measures that were being prescribed by Health Canada and encouraging employers to consider how they would maintain the, you know, the cleanliness of their operations and how they could reduce the spread of the virus. In some cases, uh, as you've pointed out, we were talking to employers that really weren't sure whether or not they bought into the whole risk factor anyway. Yeah, that was, it seemed with the folks that I was in contact with and the clients that would call, it would, it began to be generated by their own employees raising concerns. And I think we've probably both seen a lot of um, questions around the right to refuse unsafe working conditions and um, objecting to being at work and objecting to the, the safety measures being put in place. And depending on the workforce or the, the, the workplace, um, whether in fact that employer should remain open and if they do remain open, um, what, are the, what are the processes that have to be there to, to make sure people are safe? And how do you even identify what, is in, uh, what ultimately became um, a state of emergency only allowing essential services to remain open and identifying well, what was or what is essential and what is non-essential? Is, is that consistent with what, what you were hearing? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, employers would have employees show up at work and say something like this. Look, I've got a, a spouse at home who is uh, immune compromised, and they have a medical condition that really makes them susceptible to infection. And I don't really want to um, expose myself to any risk of having this uh, virus because I will then put my spouse at risk of transmission. And for employers, that was a, a challenge in some cases because for some employers, they could not facilitate working from home or they couldn't really facilitate having an employee not do that person's job. And so that ended up being an initial question. And that goes to your point where employers would have to consider reminding the employees that they are free to, you know, exercise the right to refuse, which would trigger a process under the Occupational Health and Safety Act. And that process would involve having an officer from Occupational Health and Safety come to the workplace and assess whether or not the employer's um, uh, protocols for avoidance of the infection were sufficient. Which can get really complicated depending on the on the workplace. I mean, New Brunswick, we have everything from fish processing plants to group homes to you know paper and and uh, manufacturing facilities. So depending on on the the area of the workforce, it becomes really complicated as to what things can be put in place to make sure that people are safe. They are maintaining the the uh, the recommended uh, safe social distancing. They're following the sanitization and cleaning procedures. Um, 
it, it becomes a, a bit of a, a, a bit of a, an art of what, what's possible depending on the, on the workplace and on whether or not that workplace is, is essential and can be considered essential. Yeah, right. Like there are some uh, workplaces that um, obviously aren't essential uh, for the operation of society. Others perhaps hadn't been considered essential before, but are now like grocery stores. Um, and, and, you know, there's a good example. You have these people working in grocery stores. Um, you know, the, there can be quite a number of individuals on a single shift. The management of that grocery store has to train all of those individuals, not only for their own protection against uh, the infection, but also uh, the protection of customers. And so quite often now it's the case that you would see in a, in a grocery store, a cashier who might be 17 years old, spraying down the equipment, cleaning after every single customer has gone through the lineup, um, taking precautions with respect to the exchange of money. I heard just today about a store that sells a number of different products and they've installed a window so that uh, no one can come in the store. Uh, it's like a walk-up service and uh, and they uh, take the orders through the window and, and um, then they require payment by either debit card or or uh, credit card and not cash all of which is designed partly for the protection of the staff members and partly for the protection of the customers there's a lot to it and that's just one industry think of all the different industries that have had to adapt to this the um one of the other i mean unfortunate outcomes or fallouts from from this pandemic and and a source of a lot of questions and calls and i'm sure it's been the same for you, are around the processes um, that apply to laying off on essentially an emergency basis um, large numbers of, of workers and um, work, workplaces right across the province and across the country um, have experienced really just a sudden um, complete stoppage of, of work coming in and the inability and, and really for very good reason, people are staying at home, they're not going out. Uh, the government has put in place directives to close your business, to stay at home, and there's no work for many, many Canadians. And then the question becomes, well, how as an employer do you make sure that you're following the, the law, you're complying with, in New Brunswick, we have the Employment Standards Act, and there's similar legislation in other provinces. How do you avoid running yourself offside of the legislative requirements. What do you say on a record of employment uh, so that someone might be able to claim for EI benefits and now there's a, a special COVID-19 uh, provision to, to claim benefits under? Have you had those kind of questions, Kelly? And, and, and how, how has your experience been? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, first there are those industries that were shut down by the government. and. That's a category of employment that has to be taken on its own when it comes to the COVID crisis. So if you're operating a restaurant and you've been told you can't operate anymore, and that's a government directive, then guess what? There's no employment. Um, and, and, and that's unfortunate, clearly. I mean, it's devastating. 
but it's devastating for everybody. It's devastating for the employees and it's devastating for the owner of the business and it's probably devastating for the landlord of the owner of the business. <laughs> you know, if you if you're operating a a store in a in a shopping mall for example and you're told by the government that you can't operate now, well, it's not just your business that's being affected and your employees that are being affected, but the the business that you rent your space from is now being affected as well. And it's a whole you know, it's a whole series of dominoes um, that fall uh, because of that one closure. And, you know, it's the case that a lot of businesses just can't continue to operate. There is no money to support the overhead without revenue. I've seen in, and had the experience of a few clients looking for workarounds for these closures, these mandatory closures, and how can they continue to provide some, some of their services, certainly not their full service, but some aspect of their service um, in some way that complies with the, the, uh, the directives um, and keeps people safe. And, and so started to see creative workarounds, particularly in the, in the retail areas where, where people are moving to online, uh, shopping more even in in uh, for retailers that haven't done that in the past and also sort of the drive-by so place your order in advance drive your car up we'll put it in your trunk close the trunk and off you go and there's really no interaction you send your your payment have you seen that or have you had clients begun to go down those roads looking for ways to try to keep the lights on uh, try to keep some people basically employed Oh sure, there are there are employers definitely trying to do that. Every employer wants to do that. I've yet to run into an employer who has said, "Oh, this is good. I was hoping that somebody would, you know, cause my business to fail." That that hasn't come up in any discussion. So of course, um, employers are questioning how they can try to uh, keep the lights on, so to speak. In fact, some employers have said well, gee, is there a way that we could have one patron at a time come in by appointment only? And, you know, that's a an attempt, but it's it's not, in my view, consistent with the directive given by the province of New Brunswick when the province or, you know, whatever province we want to speak of, when the when the provincial government says, no, you, you have to be closed down to patrons, well, whether you let one in at a time or five in at a time, you're still allowing in patrons and you're not supposed to do that. The other area that, that we've, at least certainly, and I'm sure this is the same for you, a lot of questions around how do you manage a workforce if, you, if your office is closed, your business is effectively closed, but you're still trying to operate, but you're doing it all remotely. So you've sent everybody to their individual homes, but you want people to remain productive and so you're managing a, a workforce that's suddenly dispersed over an entire city or region, and it's all done. Uh, any meetings are on the telephone or uh, by the, the format that we're using, this Zoom meeting or by a, a Microsoft Teams meeting, whatever platform you happen to have available. That, And you're trying to manage and keep that workforce accountable, keep it productive. 
what what challenges have you seen there, Kelly, with employers trying to uh, trying to cope with not having their their folks in the same in the same building, um, a lack of of personal face to face time, uh, the strategies to try to to counteract that and cope with that. What have you been seeing? Well, I think first of all, some individuals have indicated to me that it was a bit of a shock um, when they had their first video conferences with their staff members post work from home orders. And when those cameras were clicked on and um, suddenly people were sitting in front of the cameras in their pajamas and uh, in all sorts of uh, states of uh, undress, you know, that was a reminder to employers that there has to be some preservation of decorum. It's an interesting phenomenon, isn't it? Because it was, I think, Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau who famously said that uh, the state has no place in the bedrooms of the nation. But here the state has told employers that whenever possible, their employees should be working from home. And suddenly it's the employers who are in the bedrooms of the nation, you know, watching their employees or, or trying to at least help their employees remain productive. And it's not always easy for employees. We know there are some statistics. In fact, at Stanford University, Nicholas Bloom did a study a couple of years ago that indicates in some industries, employees might well be more productive if they're working from home. And there are a few reasons for that. But I think that it takes practice. It's not a, it's not a developed skill that we have to work you know, without any supervision or without any sort of eyes on us, right? So we're working in what we assume to be this very private environment of our own homes. And I think that's a challenge. I also think it's a challenge, and you brought this up, that you know, people, we need interaction. We need motivation. We need support at times. And when that's not readily available, there's a high prospect that something's going to, uh, going to go wrong. Kind of the next wave that, that I seem to be seeing from employers is around the decision to move from maybe a, a temporary layoff, especially for those employers that just can't continue to operate, or they might serve an industry that's been just devastated by, by the pandemic. Um, you know, you, right. if you think of the hotel or tourism, any tourism-related industry has been just decimated um, by the by the shutdown and and by the cancellations and those employers are are now grappling with the reality that they don't have work and are not going to have work for the foreseeable future for their employees and so they face they're facing the tough reality very early on not just of a layoff um, but of terminating individual employees and obviously not not for cause it's really as a result of of the circumstances what challenges what issues have you have you seen around that kelly from from employers well first of all i personally think that in some instances lawyers have perhaps um done some disservice by talking about the technicalities of, of the law, which of course will be applied, but you know the the question that's come up frequently is whether a layoff 
as a consequence of the COVID-19 crisis constitutes a, what we call a constructive dismissal or whether um, it actually severs the relationship entirely um, um, or whether thirdly the relationship remains intact although adjourned essentially until until conditions improve in my view what's contemplated under the employment standards legislation in most instances is that any layoff of a temporary nature uh, that is warranted by the COVID-19 crisis and some provinces have stated explicitly that layoffs are warranted by the COVID-19 crisis but uh, but you know if if the layoff is temporary in nature then the contemplation is that the employee would be able to return to work at the end as you pointed out in some industries that won't be the case because there just won't be sufficient work to support uh, the employees that were uh, working in the industry pre-COVID um, I think it's left to be seen how courts are going to sort all of this out. In my mind, there will be this very strong argument that uh, can be advanced as a defense to any wrongful dismissal claim in that scenario. And the defense would be that the contract of employment has been frustrated, as we call it in employment law. And that basically means that through no one's fault, um, the foundation of the employment uh, relationship has been eroded away. Um, that's the same thing that happens if a bolt of lightning hits your fish plant and the plant catches on fire and burns to the ground. It's really not logical for the employee to arrive at work the next day knowing that the fish plant is burned down and, you know, carrying his or her lunchbox and saying, okay, I'm ready to work and where's my check? Um, because the employer can't help it, the fish plant is gone. And the same thing is true here, that through no one's fault, um, or at least no one's fault, you know, in, the, in that employment relationship, here is um, a circumstance where an entire industry could be uh, either substantially weakened or completely decimated and you know, it's difficult in that situation to say that an employer is clearly going to be responsible in damages. Kelly, I wonder if we could chat a little bit about and just dig into this, this issue around how employers maintain decision-making capacity within their management structure. And, and uh, for those, those employers that operate um, or re ultimately report to a, a board of directors, how those organizations um, can cope and are coping with this situation. Um, in, in the little bit of, of uh, time that's passed since um, we faced this pandemic, I know that I've, I've done more video conferences with um, more employers and been part of more governance meetings via Zoom or Microsoft Teams or you name it, whatever, uh, Google Hangouts, the list goes on, um, FaceTime even. Um, is that, ha have you seen that being used with your clients as well? Is that, is, 
what are what are the risks that that folks are facing? Employers are facing. What are the challenges? What what are the opportunities that uh, as well that that organizations are facing? Trying to keep their their management um, management tight, effective as most and, and probably this is a this is a, an unfortunate failing of many organizations never planned never thought about a pandemic response plan that was not something they were looking at next quarter's books not how to respond to a pandemic much less how to to manage as a as a tight leadership team uh, their way through this kind of circumstance what what has been uh, what's what have you been observing yeah, sure. I, I think as we discussed before, um, this working from home circumstance and working through platforms like uh, Zoom or Google Hangouts, um, that's all well and good, but it almost rotates the question of privacy 180 degrees, doesn't it? Because pre-COVID pandemic, we were always concerned with the employer's invasion um, of the employee's privacy. And now I wonder if people were being truthful, how often are private confidential discussions about the employer's business happening in earshot of other people, um, family members or roommates, at an employee's residence, and and that doesn't even take into account all of the uh, all of the uh, security risks around the uh, IT, right? The the electronic communications. How secure are the electronic communications that are being used by employers? Um, my guess is that uh, we'll find out um, too late that they're not as secure as people hoped. Kelly, what, what would you, um, I, I guess over the last, the last few days, you know, some of the, um, some of the examples that, that have, have kind of been hitting home for me are the, are the, are the workplace examples that are complex to deal with um, in, in the last number of days dealing with that, for example, a, an employer that that operates special residences for people that need uh, 24-hour care, and and in those circumstances, had to put in place very special sort of customized um, safety, sanitation, social distancing requirements for for each of the employees. Um, they've had to take the government directives that come from Health Canada or the province of New Brunswick but tailor them to their very specific circumstance and, and the needs of that, that organization. And so in that process, we've been coaching and, and advising clients on how to comply with the law. They're an essential service in this particular case. They need to continue operating um, and how to tailor their, their uh, safety, sanitation, and, and, and response to protect their employees because that really is the first priority but then to continue operating. Do you see more of that being necessary as we, we enter what, what is an uncertain period over the next number of, of days and probably a couple of weeks, the pandemic is gonna to continue to, to grow um, 
is that something you're you're gonna you you think we're gonna see more of the need to really dig in and be very customized in the response give depending on the particular employer's uh, needs? Sure, I think if if you were operating any kind of retail outlet or place that has products or money readily available, I would be creating a uh, a protocol and a plan to deal with theft. I'd be doing that. Second, if I were operating a special care facility or any place where family members are being shielded from their uh, from their relatives and unable to have contact, um, I would be developing a protocol to deal with um, aggressive physical outbursts. Um, because you know, I anticipate that those will happen uh, on both sides of the door. By the way, um, I think regardless of what kind of operation an employer has, uh, you know, another question that's looming, if it hasn't already hit you, is what are you going to do when an employee who has been out sick wants to return to work? Um, have you made a provision for that? And and I think there are you know, simple solutions for that, but you have to have one uh, because otherwise you could be allowing someone who still carries the COVID infection back into your workplace. That's a problem. The problems really are not completely known yet, but but those are some of the examples and and uh, and that, you know, I suppose adds on to the problem of what are you going to do? What plan have you got in place? Especially in these healthcare facilities that we sometimes deal with, malware, the staff could easily end up, um, you know, with a high percentage of illness. So they're out now, of the workplace. One of the things that that I I see as a risk for some employers, depending on their their um, industry or or field, are the issues around accommodation that come following COVID. Uh, we know that that um, there is lasting damage to those that are impacted by the virus uh, to a significant extent. There can be long-term health consequences for those individuals. They can have um, things like loss of lung capacity and that type of thing. And so then there's going to be, um, I suspected, an ongoing need to, to um, probably for some employers, to accommodate um, people, maybe it's a gradual return to work. Maybe it's a, a new set of duties within the workplace, depending on what that person does. That, to me, seems like another another um, another risk and challenge that employers are going to be coping with in not next week, but two or three months from now. Absolutely. Consider the first responders who will typically have a very physically active component of their work. A person amongst that working group that contracts COVID uh, could end up, as we know, with such um, respiratory impacts that they may not be able to do uh, the full, you know, the full complement of their job functions for a period of time. And, and so employers will have to adjust on that front as well. I, I think that, uh, there is such a long list of 
issues that will arise and that will have to be dealt with. I mean, we haven't even gotten into the economic aspects where, you know, again, I mentioned this earlier, but if you're a commercial landlord, if you're a residential landlord, um, if if you operate businesses that support um, landlords, whether commercial or residential, um, the question will be, how do you, um, you know, how do you adjust given the fact that, you know, a massive sum of money has been drained out of the economy and, you know, we have to find ways to ensure that that is injected back in quickly enough to support the employees who need it. Yeah, that's right. On the commercial landlord or the residential landlord side, I see the directives from the province of New Brunswick yesterday came out requiring, for example, the wiping down of hand railings within a residential apartment building every hour and wondering how does a residential landlord cope with that reality? You would likely have to have a staff person on constant duty carrying out that, that function. And how do, you, how do you possibly do that? Right. And I suppose the next question to follow is, what if you don't do that? And that'll right. be another interesting issue for um, the authorities to address. But we are, you know, clearly it's a statement of the obvious, but it's such a it's such a mess that um, the you know the ramifications are hard to predict right now. From from an employee's perspective. Um, what we hope is that everyone who is currently not able to work in their normal conditions, not able to work, say, in their office, or not able to work at all, we're hoping that those people will be able to return to work uh, very quickly. But at the same time, um, for employers, they have to make sure that all of that is managed um, with the health and safety of the employees in mind as you and I know, under the Occupational Health and Safety Act. And really, this is a bit like um, exposing people to what could be a fatal illness. So, you know, the, the seriousness of it can't be overstated. That's right. Well, maybe that's a, a decent place to, um, to wrap up for, for today, Kelly, for this, um, this, what is really a special podcast episode for our listeners. Uh, on COVID-19 and and particularly for employers uh, dealing with what are definitely challenging, challenging times. Yep, I agree, Matt.